0: Well, today we are starting our new series based on the whole vision that we've had for the last three years called Go Big. And we want to talk about what it takes to actually go big in your faith, to go big in your life. Now, if this is your first time, please forgive me. Apparently I have an accent and my kids tell me that I start to sound more Scottish the more I get excited about what I'm talking about. So by the end of this teaching, you might not understand a thing I'm saying, but try and follow me as as close as you can. I'll I'll try and put an, an accent of. Americanism in what I'm saying right now. And maybe you can understand me. So our Go Big journey has, has been going over, uh, been happening for about three, three and a half years now. And, and about actually seven years ago, we were inspired with this vision to try and build a new building because we thought, you know, this will help us to to be able to uh, to do things uh, in a much wider capacity to reach more people. And so uh, that was about seven years ago, and I put a lot of effort into trying to try and figure out what type of building we should have. Do we buy an old one? Do we buy a new one? How are we going to pay for this? Um, do we build one? Do where should we build it? Where should we where should we buy a piece of land? And about four years ago, we finally got a piece of property. It's about fifteen acres off of four twenty nine, and. It was a million dollars and now it's worth about two and a half million dollars. So we really have quite an amazing asset of, of uh, in that piece of property. But about three years ago, we decided to say, yes, we're gonna go big. And as we decided to say, yes, we're gonna go big, we're gonna go try and do this thing, we started it in the middle of the lockdown, right—the be- not in the middle of it, right at the beginning of the lockdown, which sounds like the worst time to actually do that. And many of you probably agreed with me. Yeah, that was the worst time. And I can only say, yes, it was probably the worst time to try and say, let's buy- try and build a building and raise money for it. What a what a crazy idea. Other pastors told me, you're nuts. And I'm like, I can only do what God's told me to do, but it all happened and, and, and here we are. But at the beginning of this year, we discovered that the $6 million building had grown to $9 million. And now at the beginning of this year, we discovered it's gone to $12 million because the cost of everything has gone up and up and up. I just actually uh, um, spoke to our builder just recently and I'm like, what's happening with the market right now? And he goes, well, good news, bad news. Good news is the price has now leveled off for the cost of building. So things are not exponentially getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Apparently inflation has now settled down back to three percent. So that's a good thing. Um, he goes, but the, the bad the bad news is it's not going down. He said, we can only pray and ask God that it will go, that it will go down. So that's why we're just asking you to, to really pray about that. How are we going to actually take these next steps? So this past year really has been a challenge personally for me, because I'm trying to ask the question of where do we go from here then? If we can't actually go build a building, can't do the things that we think God's told us to do, how what do we do? Where do we go from here? but I actually don't think that Go Big is necessarily over. Because like I said, it's not necessarily anymore just about a building. It's more about who we are and what we're trying to do in obedience to God as we're doing what he is calling us to do. And so as I was looking at this, I decided to go back to the drawing table, not not to redesign the building, but to go back to the, the rocket ship drawing table, if you know what I'm saying. Why? Because our theme has had this picture of this spaceman, right? And, and uh, we had a spaceman, and the reason why we decided to use a spaceman as our theme, and it's up on our wall, and if you're online, you'll see it on the screen here. And we decided to use this picture of a spaceman, uh, not because I'm a spaceman, but uh, I'm spaced out man, but, but because we realized that we were shooting for the moon. Right? We were literally saying, let's go to the moon. But the challenge with that is, how do you go to the moon? Never been to the moon before, and I don't know how to get there. I don't know what it looks like. How far is it? I don't think we're capable of doing it. And even though I, I dressed up as a spaceman myself, it doesn't mean I know how to get to the moon. Right When you're trying to go to a new land and you're trying to go to a new place, you have to wear different clothes. You have to speak different language. You have to act a different way in order that you're understood. A little bit like coming to America from Scotland when I first came here. And people couldn't understand half the things I'm saying. You can barely understand anything I'm saying right now. Imagine what it was like years ago when I first came. But So I had to take on a different mindset, a different way of talking. And I had to be mentored and how, uh, how my jokes weren't funny anymore. Anymore, right? So you have to understand how Americans can think. And, and so I was going through this whole process. And so I had to decide, what I'm, how, how do I adapt? And so looking at this, this whole process of us trying to go big and this whole rocket ship thing and this, this spaceman, I, I decided to read about the Moon Space Program this year. And so, about four or five months ago, I started to study. Is anybody a nerd like me and loves the whole space program stuff? And you've read about it? I know you. I know you are for sure. Absolutely, he's super nerd when it comes to that stuff. Another super nerd at the back too. But the fact is, we all probably like it. We especially like watching it when we're watching TV shows, right? When we have like a movie or something about how America conquers the universe just by going up to space, right? And so, and so, I decided to look at this this moon space program about the journey to the moon. Does anyone know who was the person that suggested that we should actually go to the moon? It was President John F. Kennedy, right? So in 1961, he said, we're going to the moon, is what he said. And so everyone went, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. How the heck are we going to do that? But he decided, yes, we're going to go to the moon. And in 1961, that same year, Project Mercury came about and we actually had the first US crewed flight, There were six missions in all, six rockets that went up to space, and we were finally able to get a person to go up into space. How cool is that? And then four years later, 1965, Project Gemini started. And that was 10 missions where they simply tried to explore how do you actually rendezvous spaceships up in space? How do you get the module to be at the top and then detach itself and then go off to the moon? How do, And so it took four years and 10 missions to try and conquer that. And then, of course, in 1969, as most most of you probably remember, was the Apollo program, which that's the most no, most famous one. You remember the the movie Apollo thirteen. It's the most uh, famous movie um, about about the space uh, uh, journey up to the moon. And that was when we actually finally landed on the moon through the project of Apollo. But even with the project of Apollo, the Apollo program, there was multiple steps that it took to try and get to the moon itself. And so in 1969, Apollo 1 was started, and that was destroyed by fire on the launch pad. It just blew up. So they spent all this money, all this time to build this thing, and it just blew up on the launch pad. And then Apollo 2 to Apollo 6, that's 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, was the experimental development, and that's when they had to discover how to protect even the the, the, the pilots from being burnt alive if anything ever happened and so that took many years to, to discover how to do that. And then it got to Apollo 7 which was the first flight into space uh, with a crew and a TV broadcast was actually uh, uh, beamed from space all the way down here. Now you're, you're, you're probably thinking what's the big deal? you know Because you call you on your phone and it goes up to space and it comes down and it calls your neighbour next door, right? So it's no big deal. But in those days, imagine sending a broadcast signal from space all the way down to Earth. Earth. how cool was that? And then we had Apollo 8, which was the first, uh, the first flight to go around the moon. So they basically took this spaceship, it went all the way around the moon and it, and, it, and, it, and it whipped all the way around and it came back to Earth. So they didn't even try and land. They didn't try and do anything, just try and send the, the rocket up there. And then Apollo 9 came along and that was the first crewed flight to test the lunar module where they actually put people into the lunar module. That's the module that's separate from the rocket and how it would separate away from the rocket and then it would try and come back to Earth again. So that was Apollo 9. And then we got to Apollo 10, which was the dress rehearsal over the moon. What's the dress rehearsal? The dress rehearsal was when they took this 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 uh, this lunar module, sent it all the way to the moon, and then they took it down just by ten miles, just hovering over the moon, and then they're like, all right, that's close enough and then they went back home. Imagine being the guy who went ten miles within the moon. It's like we didn't even land. we got all the way there, and we didn't even we didn't we didn't even. We didn't even land there. We didn't do. It. I never even got to hit a golf ball on the moon or, pl- or, or plant a flag. And it got all the way to Apollo Eleven, which was the first landing on the moon. And we had the guy that what was his name? Um, I've forgotten. The name. Who's the first man? Neil Armstrong. See, he just testing it. And he goes one step for. Wow. Guess you weren't there. One step from man, one small step from man, one giant leap from mankind, right? Okay, so we all kind of remember. Was anyone around when that happened and it was on TV? Does anyone see it that's willing to admit putting their hands up? Okay, we actually do have a few people. So you were there to watch history actually happen and you watched it on TV and went, wow, we went to the moon. All right, is there any conspiracy theorists that think it didn't actually happen? Right? more hands go up like didn't happen. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whether it happened or yeah, it's fake, it's fake. Whether it happened or not, I don't know. I don't care. I think it's quite fascinating. But what blew my mind as I was looking at this program is how long it took to get to the moon. It was eight years when they said, Let's go to the moon. Took eight years. Now you might think, well, that's not that long for, for quite a quite you know, for quite a journey to try and get there. That's true, right? But there was billions of dollars, there was billions of man hour and woman hour times, right? Of of of, of putting this project together and discoveries and, and look how many steps, look how many failures, look how many exploding rockets, and look how many detours there were, just to try and fulfil the idea that we would put a person on the moon to do nothing. Right? What did we get from landing on the moon? We got there on the moon, put a flag there and went, we were the first. And then we went home again. My goodness. Does it seem a little crazy that we put all that time in? But look at this, we've got eight years of trying to get to that place. And the guy that suggested it wasn't even around to see it. He was killed himself, John F. Kennedy, Kennedy, in 1963. He didn't actually get to see it. But the fact is, he did see it in his mind. He saw the vision of it and he decided to commit himself and the resources of this country to actually going to do that. Imagine how many of us maybe have decided to say yes to God, but won't actually see the results of what we've said yes to when we're actually following God. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, it lists all these people in the New Testament that said yes to God. And it says, and not one of them saw the fulfillment of what God did through their work here on earth. This is what happened with John F. Kennedy. He didn't get to see it, but he saw it in his mind. The question I've got at this point now is Do we still see the vision to go big? Do we still believe that God has told us to expand, to win more souls? And can we endure more programs? Can we endure more steps until we have completed what God has called us to do? Are we only doing this because it's easy, or are we doing it because it's worth doing? Is it really worth doing? I think it is worth doing. Why do I think it's worth doing? I think it's worth doing because people still matter and eternity still matters. It's worth living this life this Christian life and doing the work of Christ that we do day in and day out as a body of believers simply because people matter and eternity matters. This is not for us to just be, uh, to just trying to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We're doing this because people matter and eternity still matters. But now I'm at the place as a believer, as someone who's trying to lead this task of going big as a church and going and doing the greater things that God has called us to. And I'm trying to now answer this question of how do we endure? How do we endure all the steps and all the stages that are to come? What if this is a much longer journey to get to our end result, to, to, to shoot for the moon? What, 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 how many steps is there going to be? How long will it take? Can we endure actually doing it? What will it take? What will help us to get there? What will be our rocket fuel for this journey that we're on? Will it be more programs? Will it be more t-shirts? Will it be in more videos? Will it be better sermons? Will it be more vision? How do we combat fatigue that comes along with this? The answer I came up with is I believe there's one thing that fuels us as Christians and it's this. The Holy Spirit in us is what empowers us to do what God has called us to do. It's the Holy Spirit. We've just done two months of study on the book of Acts, which is all about what the church did when it finally received the Holy Spirit and walked according to his ways. Who's the Holy Spirit? It's the third person of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, that person is often overlooked and just thought of as someone who's floating out there doing not much other than whatever God wants them to do. But the fact is, Jesus said he would be in us. This is the same Holy Spirit that created the heavens and the earth. This is the same Holy Spirit that is the executor of the will of God that Jesus said he would send to us and wouldn't just be someone that we walked alongside, but would actually live inside of us. We would live inside of us. Why is the Holy Spirit so important? It's simply because of this. It's because he fuels our ability to be like Christ. When you read the New Testament, there are two baptisms that it talks about in the New Testament. The first baptism, as many baptism baptism as many of you have probably done, because if you're believers and you're followers of Christ, you probably had a water baptism. What's the water baptism? That's the baptism of repentance. That's basically saying, I'm dead to myself, and now I'm following Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's when you're saying that everything in my past is no longer counted against me. But it doesn't mean that you're empowered to actually live like Christ. You need a second baptism is what the Bible says. And that's the baptism of power. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in you and lives inside of you. And that gives you the power to live just like Christ. It's the fuel in our rocket ship. It's the fuel that fuels us to do the things that God has called us to do. So this morning, with the, with the time that I've got left here, I want to show you four different things that the Holy Spirit does in us. And the first one is this. He gives us boldness. He gives us boldness. Acts chapter 4, it says, Now, Lord, Consider their threats. What's he talking about? This is Peter and John. Apostle Peter, Apostle John. They had just been threatened by the Sanhedrin and they came along and they said, if you don't stop talking about this, Jesus, we're going to kill you like we killed them, like we killed Jesus. And they went back and they started praying. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Watch this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That means they weren't shying away and crying in their beer, or you don't drink beer. I drink beer. They were crying in their beer, right? It wasn't. They weren't hiding away, going, "What are we going to do? We can't do this. It's so hard. It's so difficult for me. I feel traumatized by what's going on." No. Listen. They decided to say, "Holy Spirit, fill us, so that we can have the boldness to do what you've called us to do." Captain Kirk wasn't the only one to say he wanted to boldly go where no man had gone before. This was said before he came along. If we're going to boldly do and go where God has called to go before, that we've never done, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to do it. Can we build a $12 million building? The answer is, yes, he can. Can I do it? No, I can't. I've proven that already. Can you do it? No, you can't. proven that already. Can he do it? Yes, he can. So may the Holy Spirit that lives in me come to the surface and make this come to pass. Do you have fear? Are you intimidated? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing that he does in us. He gives us guidance. The Holy Spirit gives us guidance. John 16, 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. If you're on your smartphone right now reading scripture or taking notes, you need to know that that smartphone has more processing power in it than any of the rocket ships that went to the moon. Did you know that? There is more processing power within your phone than there is in the computer that guided that ship to go land on the moon. If you have that much processing power within your phone, imagine how much processing power you have within yourself to guide yourself to the right place through the power of the Holy Spirit. Has any of you ever gone whitewater rafting before? You ever done that? You've done that before? It's a lot of fun, right? It's scary. It scares the living daylights out of you, right? But when you get in there, you have a guy that's right behind you, and he's called your Guide, right? He's the one that's shouting at you going, paddle left, paddle left, paddle back, right side, paddle back, paddle back. Okay, rest, rest, paddle, paddle, paddle. And he's giving these guidance at the right moment whilst you're going down this river hoping that you won't die. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. We don't know what is ahead, but he knows what is yet to come is what Jesus said. He knows what's gonna come. He's beamed down this river before. He's gone along this path. He knows exactly what's coming. This is why we need to have a conversation constantly with the Holy Spirit. Are you lost? Are you confused? Do you not know what to do? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing. The third thing is he gives us power. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So just as he was about to go into ministry, he had gotten baptized with the the apostle John, uh, sorry, John the Baptist, and he got baptized in the River Jordan. And it says, and then he got up and he went into the desert and he was tempted for 40 days. You probably read that story, right? After that happened, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus This is the Son of God. Even he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of God that does the great things for God. It's not me, it's it's God within us. And so Jesus is in the same place and it says that he, he returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. It basically is telling us this, that Jesus needed power before he could do his ministry as well. Jesus had to wait for the Spirit to fill him before he could go do what God had called him to do. And then in Acts chapter one, verses eight, after he had died and rose from the grave again, he was speaking to his disciples and he said, but you will receive power when your Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills up your life, you find power in your life. A few years ago, um, there was a lady, there was a family that used to be in our church for quite a while and she developed a brain tumor. And so uh, she actually came, she actually came to me and said, Hey, can you just pray for me? And I'm I, I, I yep, let's do it. Let me pray for you. I put my hands on her head and I say, Father, if it's your will, take this thing away. We just pray that you'll take this whole tumor away. The next Sunday she came, she goes, It's a miracle my tumor has now gone away. I went back to the doctor, they took another scan and the tumor has disappeared. Now, I never personally verified that, but I had no reason to believe if she would tell me, you know, tell me a lie or anything like that. And she goes, you healed me. And I said, no, I didn't. I'm not as smart as you think I am. I'm not as powerful as you think I am. But the Holy Spirit is And so therefore, I am obligated to have to trust the Holy Spirit's power and do my job by praying for you. And by the power of your faith, you should see God do amazing things in your life. Guess what? Each and every one of you that has confessed Christ as your King, you have the Holy Spirit. Invite Him in to overflow inside of you. Invite Him to take control of your life. If you feel powerless, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to baptize you in His power. Here's the last one. No? Yes. It says number three, but it should be number four. He gives us unity. He gives us unity in chapter four of Acts. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now this doesn't mean that there was some hippie commune or hippie camp here. But it says that they had this thing called fellowship. What is this word fellowship? It's a Greek word that means, is the word koinonia or koinonia, however you want to say it. And it basically means a fellowship of believers together. It's a unity through the Holy Spirit. It's literally like conjoined twins who share the same bloodstream. We share the same bloodstream of Jesus Christ in our lives and it joins us together. Why is this thing of the spirit? Why is it not considered a human effort? Because we can't do this by ourselves. Look at this. In Ephesians chapter four, verse three, it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. What is that saying? It's telling us this. We need to actually have a unity in our faith, but many of us don't. We don't. We have different ways of looking at life. We have different theologies. We have different ideas. I think you're an idiot sometimes. You think I'm an idiot sometimes, right? But... What the, Paul is saying here is not saying you guys have to believe the exact same things in the exact same way in order to be able to do the things of God. He's saying you need to have unity of the Spirit because that's the only way we're going to agree on, on what God has called us to do. It's the unity of the Spirit. And my father, I think, was a good example of this. As I was growing up, I'm a pastor's kid. And I could see my father, he, would, he, would, he, he knew how to work with lots of people. And what I always, always blew my mind away was he was able to love a person for who they were without stumbling over who they weren't. Let me say it again. He was able to love a person for who they were without stumbling over who they were not, what they weren't able to do, what they weren't able to be, what they weren't able to, 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 to uh, think or say or do. He would love them for who they are. But what I found fascinating was he could love person A and person B and have unity with both of those two people. But person A and person B didn't like each other, right? So they didn't have unity with each other, but my father would have unity with both of them. And so sometimes he would have to be a go-between in order to try and help them to have a relationship with each other. Do you know who's a better person to be a go-between between you and the person you don't like? It's the Holy Spirit within you. So if you don't particularly like a person, then ask the Holy Spirit to give you the spirit of unity, the spirit of love, the spirit of intercession to pray for that person so that you can truly see them the way that the Father actually sees them. Only by the Holy Spirit can we do these things. We need this rocket fuel that doesn't blow up on people but rather leads us to greater things together. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure right now, if I asked you, what do you, what person in your life right now do you struggle with right now? What what other Christian do you find? You know, they're a bit of a pain in the rear sometimes, you know, with the derriere. And I just don't know if I particularly like them and I never want to work with them ever again. And if they do that thing ever again, I'm going to tell them they're wrong and I'm going to put them in their place. Listen, the power of the Spirit is the only thing that's going to join you with them. It's not an agreement of your thoughts. It's the agreement of the Spirit. And when you find that deeper love and that deeper calling, you will be able to do greater things through the power of the Spirit. Isn't that a good thing? You know, one of the things that really struck me as I was studying this whole thing, I asked the question, what did we get from going to the moon? Because we only got a few rocks. They collected a few rocks and brought them all the way back to earth. That was it. But if you actually research how many things came from that whole process, there are so many inventions and discoveries that we live with today simply because someone said, I'm going to do something greater than we've ever done before. We're today living with phones in our pockets that were discovered through the technology of what we put into those ships there was never even a portable computer before. They decided to shrink one down and put it into a spaceship. Now you have a, comp- a portable computer in your pocket. And we all take it for granted. We're living off of the blessing of someone else who decided to say, I'm going to go big. Maybe they don't see the results of it. None of those men, none of those women saw the results of a smartphone in their hand like we do today. Imagine in the same way, if you decide to say you're gonna go big for Christ, you're gonna go big on this earth in this lifetime, imagine the fruit that will come from you decide to take a risk, even if you don't get to see the fruitfulness. Imagine who's going to live off of that fruit. Imagine who's gonna be, whose lives are gonna be changed, who are gonna be blessed, simply because you said yes to God, that's it you think you can do that? The answer is, no, you can't. The only way you're gonna do it is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit because the answer is, yes, he can. The Holy Spirit in me can do all things that God has called me to do. You can do it as well. Let's stand as we end our service. Well, Father, we want to be inspired once again. We want to receive your Spirit. In fact, Holy Spirit, we talk to you right now. And we say, fill us up to overflowing. Fill us up to overflowing. We ask this because of what the Son has done for us. That we have the permission now to be able to boldly approach the throne of God. We now have the privilege that you get to live within us. But I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would give us these things. It would give us boldness. It would give us guidance. It would give us power. And it would give us unity to work with people that we don't know how to work with. Help us, Father, as we obey you to walk in the power of the Spirit. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. May you be blessed and fulfilled.